Thank you, Brandon and Grace and team. It's nice to see you all. A lot of you are a long way away from me this morning. So, um, but I'm gl- I know you're there, and I'm glad you're there. So thank you for being here. I'm going to read this passage of James this morning and kind of in its context and rewind the tape a little bit so we kind of know um, where we are. This is from James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Listen, follow along, and this might kind of refresh your minds as to where we've been. We're going to finish the first chapter of James this morning, so that that ought to be some source of gladness. My dear brothers, verse 19, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who, does listen, who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Pray that God will be gracious to us from his word this morning. The issue once again for James, for these believers, is what they consider of themselves. Now often I'll talk to people and they'll say, kind of looking from the outside in, at the religious experience, whatever they happen to have in their minds, mostly it's all of you, all of us, what they see of you, what we do over and over and over again, and they'll say something like this, well, I don't consider myself a very religious person. I'm not very religious. What they're doing is they're, they're looking at what's going on in the lives of people who they do consider religious, all that they're doing and representing in that experience of faith or religion or Christianity in our case, and they're making this assessment. They're saying, I'm, I'm not a very religious person. And I appreciate that honesty. It's, it's compelling. And it may at times mean they are simply acknowledging that they, they don't go to church several times a week or they don't pray or they don't do things uh, that they perceive religious people do. Or maybe should do. But against the backdrop of James and this letter, I wonder, I'm just wondering to myself, if any of our own consideration of our religion, of all that we do, would actually even hold water against the standard of God. And that's where we're going to go today. You see, for James, in this section, starting in verse 26, again, the issue is the peril of self-deception. You see, how easily we can deceive ourselves into believing something that is simply not reality. You and I might consider ourselves pretty legit Christians, religious, 
Truly, because of our standards or maybe our practices, our patterns or our attendance or the way we decorate our home or the books we read or the radio uh, stations we listen to, whatever. But James, you see, holds up a very different standard. He says if anyone considers himself religious but cannot keep a tight rein on what he says, then he's deceived. And actually, there's no religion at all. The religion that you perceive to be worthy is actually worthless. Now, that's compelling, isn't it? It has a lot to do, says James, about what we actually experience and express and what people receive from us in that experience and that expression and the commitment of your time and resources who you care for in your life if you think you're religious James says you need to examine your words examine your patterns of communication and the things that come out of your mouth around those closest to you around your workplace the bank and balance of your words tells the more realistic tale about you and your religion that's what James is saying. Some people say you are what you eat. <laughs> That's kind of a frightening thought. James says you are what you say and what you do. Your tone and your patterns, the totality of your expressions, your words, marks you as possibly not as truly religious as you might think yourselves to be. That's the idea of deception. Now hold your finger there. I want us to look at a couple of passages. Again, the Word of God, James says, is like a mirror. So we want to look into the mirror this morning in regards to these couple of issues that James calls us out on, which is our words and our actions, what we do with our time and our resources. We're going to look in the mirror of God's Word and see if there's some things we might not be seeing that the Word can help us to see. First of all, Ephesians chapter 4. If you'll go just to the left of James in the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. This was written by the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Starting at the end of this chapter, of Ephesians chapter 4, James, or Paul is talking about the, the new life in Christ, what it looks like, this putting off of our old self. Um, and being made new in the attitudes of our minds. You see, that's what happens when we are transformed by the power of Christ. We are made new. Our attitudes are not the same. We put off the old and we take on the new. And we are recreated in righteousness and holiness. That's verse 24. Now verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Now that's just looking in the mirror. Just look in the mirror of God's Word this morning and talk, think about your words. Rewind the tape. Any falsehood, any deceit, any dishonesty in the words that you expressed. You see, that, that's looking in the mirror. You see, wait a minute, that was not honest. That was not transparent. Um, he says we need to put that off. Speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Anger causes us to say things that we would regret and that can be harmful. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome, there's a great word, talk come out of your mouths. These are things that are dishonoring to the Lord and to others around you. Don't let that stuff come out of your mouth. Dishonoring things, expressions, innuendos, words, 
um, things that are uh, abhorrent and dishonoring to the Lord. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Listen, you don't need someone else to point this out. You can just look into the mirror of God's word this morning and, and, and kind of examine this. Has everything I have said that has come out of my mouth to those closest to me around me when I'm in the company of people, has it always, has it been helpful with the express purpose and motive of actually building someone up, making them feel better about themselves, encouraging them, strengthening their understanding of the things of the Lord or about themselves. See, that's what he's saying. That's the mirror we look into this morning in regards to our words. James is saying, listen, if you think you're religious, but the things that come out of your mouth are unwholesome, unhelpful to people around you, you might want to reconsider that. Now, there's another passage, or actually, he, he says a bit more here in um, Ephesians 4, uh, not only uh, unwholesome, but helpful, things that build up, but don't grieve the Spirit of God. It ought to always benefit those who listen. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. That is a form of negative communication that we'll see in a moment, along with every form of malice. Rather, be kind and compassionate to one another, you see. Now, Colossians also has some helpful categories, so turn with me just a few pages to the right to Colossians chapter 3. I want you to see this. It gets a little more positive here in a moment, but I want us to see the consistency of the scriptures. Colossians Colossians chapter 3, the apostle here is developing our, our identity with the person of Jesus Christ. We should set our mind on things above and associate and align ourselves with Christ And he says in verse 5 of Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That is to say, um, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But see, now something's new. There's a higher expectation in regards to your life and your words. You must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, there it is again, filthy language, that's the idea of just unwholesome words um, that come from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. Now here, listen, once again, we are looking into the mirror of God's word. Now I'm suddenly accountable by Almighty God for the things that have come out of my mouth because I'm looking in the mirror and it's saying these are the things that are dishonoring, unacceptable to the Lord. And they, they don't build anyone up. They don't encourage anyone. In fact, they, they bring them down. They, they, they diminish people's character and their sense of worth. And these are, these are not to be the experience of those who would consider themselves to be religious, particularly those aligning themselves with Christ. Now, we need to see an example of what this looks like. So to to do that, let's look in the Gospels. Luke chapter 4. Go to Luke chapter 4. This is all the way in the middle of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So again, to the left. I want you to see this story. Maybe we've been here before. It seems like we have. Luke chapter 4. Early on in 
Jesus' ministry. Jesus has returned to Galilee. This is his hometown. This is where he should feel most comfortable, Luke says. Verse 14, Luke 4, in the power of the Spirit. And news had spread uh, about him throughout the whole countryside. He taught. That's a word word. That's a talking word. In their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read so now Jesus is opening his mouth he's using words to communicate to people the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him now can you imagine that moment where Jesus the anointed Messiah savior of the world creator of the heavens and the earth is standing in the synagogue and someone hands him a copy of Isaiah can you imagine? Anyone else get excited about that? Just imagine what that moment would have been like. And then he says, he unrolled the scroll, Luke says. He actually opened it up, just like we would a, a copy of the scriptures today. And he went looking for the passage that he had on his mind. He had a sermon ready, and he was looking for the passage in Isaiah. And he found it. Jesus. This word that had become flesh. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, he says. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, that's another communication word, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll. He rolled up the scroll. He just put it all back, probably licked it, covered it, and then he gave it back to the attendant. And then he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, these words went out, and they were heard. It was for the benefit of those who heard his words. That's the power of language. It's the power of our words. They, they can bring about enormous benefit for those who listen. Now watch this, verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that magnificent? That's James. Some of you think and consider yourselves to be religious, but here's the bar. Every time words came out of Jesus' mouth, from his heart, through his mind, across the gate of his lips... People were amazed at the grace that was delivered by the words that came from his lips. That's the bar. <laughs> Filled with the Spirit. And that's what happened. James says, listen, that, that's, that's, that's the real deal. That's how you know that this is the, the real item in someone's life. By what you hear. By the power of their language to bless and encourage and to build someone up. Isn't that something? What a great passage. Let me turn back to James. James says, listen, if, if, that's, if that's not your experience, your religion is, is worthless. It's pointless. Nil and void. But not just what you say, what you post, what you text, what you tweet, what you snap, or whatever. Those are all words that ought to deliver grace to people and build people up and encourage them and exalt Christ in their lives. All of that designed to take the focus off us and place it on Him. 
That, that's, that's the expression. That's what James is saying. If, you, if we consider ourselves religious, and yet, and yet that's not the experience of those who, who hear the words that we say, or maybe we're just all about, you know, the secret, the, the secret rumor or the slanderous remark or maybe the juicy information about someone over here, and it's all done in, in secret, or maybe it's unwholesome. Maybe we're all about communicating in ways that are just offensive or innuendos or, or language that just kind of... Um, <clears throat> diminishes um, the worth and value of, of another individual. No, 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 no. No, you see, we cannot, we cannot, with integrity, continue to say that we are religious. We are, in fact, the embodiment of all that God has done in Christ and continue to have these patterns in our experience. That's what James is saying. Now, there's a, a Latin idiom that um, I think is very helpful, and it comes right out of the early church experience, uh, although it was not Latin at the time. But this is what it is, lex orandi, lex credendi. That's a little Latin lesson for you. This is what it means. What we do is what we believe. That's what that means in Latin. Look long enough at everything we're doing, and you are going to discover that is what we believe, because what we believe translates into deeds, into patterns, into disciplines, into priorities and attitudes. That's what that came from. Now, at the beginning of the, the church experience, there was, a, there was a relationship between worship and doctrine, worship and belief. And it was an ancient principle that guided those who were developing the, um, the foundation that would be the, the church today. And it was a measure for developing these ancient Christian creeds, many of which we, we sang, we sang uh, some refrains of it just a few moments ago. Also, the canon of Holy Scripture was developed out of this principle of what, what we do is what we believe. Other doctrinal matters passed through this grid in relationship to prayer. And the liturgy emerged that holds in many respects today. But you see, left to that, left to the human experience... We can begin to deceive ourselves. And we actually believe then that we need to do more in order to generate and express true religions. For James, one of the real measures of genuine faith is when someone has learned and embraced the humility and holy discipline of keeping a tight rein on her tongue because what you do is what you believe. Over and over. Someone who has learned in holiness and humility to weigh his words and season them with grace and to resist the more darker kind of secretive tones and become part of that strain of religious expression. Now second, true religion, James says, in its purest form has to do with who you care for and the level to which your life is ordered in such a way as to meet immediately and compassionately the needs of the most helpless among you. James describes them here as orphans and widows. Religion, you see, that God our Father accepts, the real deal, as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans, that is, children without parents. And widows, women without husbands, who are in great need, and they are in distress, and then also to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
Now, this was a refugee culture into which James was writing, of course. These believers had experienced remarkable persecution and very much similar to what Christians are facing around the world today in um, Asia and in Africa and now in the Middle East and the Sudan interior and all these other places. We're watching it real time on all of our news outlets today as Christians are fighting for their lives. And most of all, for the most part, the highest percentage of victims are children and women. People in James's day, as is t- the case today, were being persecuted and even murdered for their allegiance to Christ. And the emphasis in the opening refrains of James' epistle is on standing firm in the midst of trial, the most intense trials, and in most scenarios of persecution and ethnic cleansing that we even see today. We're seeing uh, in the places all over the world, children and women are among the most helpless living victims. These are children whose parents have been murdered or imprisoned. Children of adult parents who fall victim to these horrifying diseases such as HIV AIDS, now Ebola, And there is a genuine and compelling need for the church of Jesus Christ to care for these individuals. The orphans, their mothers, but also right here. Right here in our own community, the needs are immense and increasing. Listen, we live in a parentless society. Right here in our own backyard, within the radius of a couple of miles of this ministry, this campus, and this school next door, we have countless families who are, have faced a lifelong destiny of poverty, joblessness, addiction, alcoholism, all these things contributing to the growing number of children and women living in absolute and total poverty. Right here, they are our neighbors. And according to James, the call is not to the government or to the schools. The call is to the church. The call is to those who have aligned themselves with Christ. James says the mark of true, genuine religion is for believers to care for those who are in the deepest needs of their lives. What we have learned as God has been gracious to us and to all of us in this ministry and opening up this community is that we serve many children right here in this ministry who are by all definitions homeless. They wander the streets of Terre Haute. They are fatherless at best and parentless at worst. We have several in our own student ministries program. They have no one to nurture them, no one to clothe them and make sure they have fresh clothing for the new school year, no one to bathe them, to teach them manners, basic hygiene, no one to help them with their homework, just help them stay above the waterline so they can move to the next grade and then to the next grade and then to the next grade and ultimately finish a high school education so that they do have at least an opportunity to maybe become gainfully employed. These children are all across this community and they are here in our building. These are children who have no apparatus to help them learn how to work or how to drive a car. My son turned 16 in January. So we're thinking about, you know, the next step is to 
to move him into a situation where he can go through the, the protocols and the process of, of learning how to drive a car so that he can get his permit and ultimately get up to the next level and, and get his driver's license so that he could actually drive from point A to point B and maybe go to a job and, and have, a, have an interview and, and look viable to an employer and, and, and become self-sustaining. But you need to know that uh, there are an enormous number of teenage boys and girls who have no one in their life to help them through that process. And so the haves continue to have and the have-nots go deeper and deeper and deeper into the have-not experience. And James is saying, <laughs> if you have and consider yourself religious, but yet you have no ordaining orientation to those who are in the deepest places of need, you might need to reconsider. True religion, says James, has to do with what you say and how you say it and actually how you care for those in dire needs. Now back to Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi. What we do is what we believe. If you just observe what the Christian church is doing both here and around the country, it will begin to help us understand while there is such a gap between what we consider to be religion and what is actually the true and genuine item from God's perspective. Just look at the church. Measure what is said and how and where we invest most of our resources and time as ministries and as families. And we will determine and come to the conclusion with James that what we really believe religion to be, true Christianity, is a life that is spent focusing on ourselves. That's what we really believe is the essence of the gospel just based on what we do. Taking care of our children, raising and focusing on our own children, making sure they have the best and brightest future, that they have the most ultimate Christian upbringing, that they remain unstained and safe from the world, well-fed, well-educated, well-rounded, well-everything, and that they have the most pleasant and enjoyable, joyful memories and happy, comfortable, safe surroundings. Lex orandi, Lex credendi says, that's what we really believe Christianity looks like because that's what we're doing all the time. James says, it's just the opposite. We live in a Christian culture that worships our children rather than sacrificing them for the cause of Christ. And then we shake our heads and wring our hands when we can't figure out why we have a generation of entitled, ungrateful, unresponsive, irresponsible children who simply can't put two sentences together. And we simply can no longer say with any measure of integrity to our kids, hey, it's not about you. Because they will look us square in the eye and say with all truthfulness, it's been all about me since the moment you had me.
What do you mean it's not about me? It's always been all about me. That's what we believe is true Christianity. James says no, a million times no. True religion in its purest form, the religion that God our Father accepts, is a brand of religion that actually passes the bar with Him. It's a religion, it's a Christianity that focuses on meeting the most desperate needs of those around us. Orphans and widows is a metaphor for everything that is not about us. And I read this passage, I was getting ready for just an infant dedication ceremony, and I, I always go to, to Psalm, to Psalm 127. And this thing just kind of lit me up when I saw this. Psalm 127, if you want to go there, you can look at it. But just listen to this. This is David. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over Israel, uh, the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now watch this. He's going to give us a theology of children. We need this. Sons, children are a heritage from the Lord. That means they are a gift from his hand. Children are a reward from him. Now watch this. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Here's God's perspective on children and family. Children are a gift. They're a reward from God. But they are like arrows. They are to be strengthened and sharpened and ready for the mark. And the ultimate goal is that they leave the quiver, they are set on the bow, and they are released into the world for maximum impact for the glory of God. Those are arrows. That's God's perspective on your kids. Where's your arrow? I don't know. But I launched him. And I know he's on target. And I know he's going to impact. Hannah and I were doing a little, whatever you call it, bridge festing. And uh, walking around, and my little da daughter daddy day.